All right, Josh Smith here at my studio live from Flat 5. I'm super excited to have today's guest. Um, I'm an enormous fan of this guy's playing. I think he's one of the most important voices on the instrument in the world today and in the jazz world. Um, he's had an unreal career already. Uh, he's played on tons of records, played with tons of people. Um, heck, he was even the, <laughs> the subject of an Oscar-nominated uh, documentary film when he was eight years old. Um, I'm just really excited to talk to him. So, dude, thank you for doing this. Julian Lodge, everybody. Oh, thank you. Wow. Uh, you're very kind, and I have to uh, reciprocate and just tell you I'm a deep fan of yours. I love your playing, and uh, I'm honored to be with you today. Thanks, man. So did I did I pronounce your last name correctly? Because everybody I know says it differently within the sense uh, within the the constraints of one sentence. I'll have five guys say it a different way. <laughs> I know it's well, our family says Lodge. It's from okay. It's from that's my dad's side of the family, uh, and uh, although I've met Lages, you know people have the same spelling but pronounced that way. We say Lage. I, I, I'll respond to really anything. I don't, I'm not. <laughs> I've never had to deal with that being a Smith. It's always self-explanatory. <laughs> you got it good. You got it Dude, good. Dude, so, so everybody knows, well, maybe doesn't everybody know, but you, you, you started at such a young age, and I can relate to some degree. I started playing when I was six, and I kind of got out there, at least in Florida, as like, you know, the blues wonderkind or whatever, playing gigs, but not to the extent that you were playing on records with, you know, guys like Gary Burton and David Grisman and, and all these amazing things you were doing and, and the movie and all that. So a lot of people know that. What I don't know is how did the guitar actually end up in your hands the first time? Like, who put it there? Oh, wow. Uh, my dad. You could, you, my dad. But it's funny because it, it wasn't so much that he put it there as he, you know, I'm the youngest of five kids, and they're all brilliant, wonderful yeah, people in the world doing very different things. My, when I was like, very young, I was like four, my dad started playing guitar for himself, you know, so he would have been in his later 30s, and he was passionate about it. I remember it was around the time of Clapton's Unplug, you know, so my dad cool, that's amazing, which it is, got a guitar, and I think as a kid, I just kind of wanted something to do, because my siblings were all obviously very um, engaged, whether it be with, um, you know, ac academic life, or design, or art, or whatever it might have been, so I really begged my father, both my parents, to, if you know, for a guitar, so I could just hang out with him and play, and their response was, "Well, if you still want one a year from now, when you're five, we'll get, we'll, we'll oblige." And sure enough, that whole year I leading up to it, I was obsessed with it. You know, I was just fanatical about it, and um, and so, so it quite organically, my interest grew, and then, then my parents followed through and got me a guitar, and that's how that's kind of how it started. Were you and your dad almost learning along together at some point there? If your dad was just beginning. Hell yeah! It was so that was that, I think that was what was so fun about it. it was he would take a lesson, come home, show me what he did, and then yeah, for a while, then I started taking lessons, and he would uh, be at all the lessons, you know, because I was a kid, and it was appropriate for him to be a part of. You know, he would sit in them with me, right? And um, everything I ever studied, you know, whether it be with my earliest teacher, uh, a guy named Robert Jones, and then soon after with a guy named Chris Pimentel, both wonderful guitars. They yeah. both mistakenly both stayed with Randy Vincent, who was kind of my main 
guru guitar teacher as a young man, uh, a dude. And uh, my father and I took all those lessons together sensibly, you know. And uh, so Randy would say stuff, and I'd, I'd be eight, and I wouldn't understand all of the language of my father so sweetly. He'd say, I think, I think what he's saying is try, you know, move your hand up, or, you know, or play less, or do that. I'd say, okay, you know. So uh, it was a family affair, definitely. Nice. And what kind of, you mentioned Clapton already, but what other kind of music did your parents like? What were you hearing in the house? I remember my parents had a, a, a lot of Jobim, a lot of, like some of, in, some earlier Jobim and some stuff, a record was called Passerim that was, I think, made in the 80s, really cool production. Remember we had a tape cassette of um, uh, John Martin, you know, the songwriter uh, from the UK, be- beautiful voice. We had and then James Taylor. We had Giant Steps on a tape. I remember that was played a lot. Um, it was it was a cl- Julia Fordham. I remember my dad was really into Julia Fordham. Uh, my mother, I remember we saw. You know, she grew up on the East Coast and you know with a lot more R and B and Motown and and yeah. and just to soul uh, music you could call it that nowadays. But uh, so so it was you know. B.B. King and John Lee Hooker yeah. and obviously nice. Aretha. Yeah, it was great. That was It was kind of split like that in my house. My mom loved rock and roll, but she really loved Motown and Stax and soul music, R&B. And my dad had just a really eclectic, mostly rock collection, Hendrix and Stones, Beatles. But he also had like Giant Steps. He had Kind of Blue. He had some Monk. Um, so, so I was here, and he had Albert King and B.B. King and Otis Rush. And they would just put vinyl on all day long. We'd watch sports with the volume muted and just have a record on. And that was my house, like, yeah, every day. Yeah. That's incredible. And you, I, I, you, <laughs> you, you obviously soaked it up, you know, and then elaborated on it as you grew, grew with the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so I started taking lessons when I was six. And probably like you, I was infatuated right away. Like every waking hour was spent on the guitar. My first like wall that I hit or frustration was not finding anyone my age to kind of share that with. Did you have anybody your age that you started to get together with or, or jam with, or was it always older guys, older teachers, things like that? That's a really interesting question. It was mostly older, you know, there, there were younger musicians around, uh, but, but you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I remember there were, there, you know, I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, right? So kind of Northern Bay area. And, um, I remember there being young musicians whose parents would reach out to my folks and say, "Hey, we, you know, my son plays trumpet, and you should play." I, I remember my parents and I being kind. Uh, protective might be the wrong word because it impri- implies a threat. It wasn't threatening, but we we were very aware that just because someone was my age didn't mean they were necessarily uh, someone we needed to pursue. You know, uh, okay. like in other words, put it more. To the point, there was such a concern growing up that what I was doing would be kind of a novelty, you know, like oh they're kids, oh they're it's good. and I think my parents wanted me to feel like uh, you know it's you, you don't have to exploit this. You can it can actually be a, a like a um, almost a path to get you towards the masters, older masters who will really appreciate that you're young and respect you. So um, so there were younger people around, but mostly it was older musicians, and I had, had such good relationships with them and. Um, yeah, it's funny to think about that now. Uh, how, having said that, if there's young musicians who have a lot of young counterparts and colleagues, that's, that's great, you know, but, um, oh, yeah. that's not a, for, 
for me it was interesting like it, i was coming out of, i think i'm a little older than you so it was metal was huge at the time so anybody my age who was playing guitar was a metal guy um and we'd get together and we just didn't have a lot of common ground in what we wanted to play um and then grunge came in and that kind of changed everything anyways so yeah i was always searching out these older guys to play with do you remember ever like the first time getting on stage with a group of seasoned dudes and getting like that nod of approval? Cause I remember like that feeling of, Oh, I sh fucking did something here. <laughs> you know, like I, I, maybe this is, I'm on the right path. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love, I love the language you put to that. Cause I do think it's kind of, um, uh, that approval is something I don't even realize. I don't even think I knew I wanted until I started to see it. And I said, oh, cool. And then you notice there was a sense of camaraderie and you go, oh, more of this, please. Whatever this is, this feels really supportive and nurturing. Yeah. Having said that, I, I remember having that experience a lot as a young musician because people I grew up around were very kind. You know, I, I, whether, I remember a, a brilliant musician, uh, really one of my heroes growing up, a guy named Michael Barkley. Uh, he was in the Bay Area and played blues guitar and he would have me sitting with him a lot and just kind of I always felt like a million bucks you know I'd sit with him and he, he'd have that, you know and also my teachers Randy Vincent we played these gigs and with other older musicians and they would make it very clear that I was welcome you know um, yeah and, and by the same token I never felt like there was much how would you say it there was no sense that I had to prove myself. You know, no one was saying, okay, what do you got, kid? You know, show you. It wasn't, I, I, I knew a couple adults like that as a young person, but that was, you know, sure, I didn't pursue them after those experiences. I thought, well, that, that didn't feel savory. Everyone else just said, whether you're good or not, like, you know, right. just part of it. So, yeah, I, I, I do remember it, but it's kind of a, 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 it was a lot of those experiences merged together, not one in particular. Did you have um, guys giving you, constructive criticism in a way that was easy to take like i i remember that too like that feeling of when you when you play with guys who are way better than you and you know maybe you make a mistake not like some you know egregious terrible error but you make a little flub or something wrong and you kind of pick up that thing it's there's no motivator like oh i'll never do that again when you're around guys that are better than you you don't want to be that dude you know yeah, <laughs> be that dude. <laughs> That's it. I, yeah, I, I did. I, I, I found myself in that situation a lot, uh, uh, especially when I began viewing myself as a jazz guitar player. Uh, early, I started playing blues, you know, and that was less. Um, I think it was, you know, the critical feedback had more to do with, uh, uh, you know, the, the players I respected taught just kind of having conversations with them about soloing. They might say, well, you know, you can play uh, you can play a little more there. You can play a little less or you could, you know, think about building a solo this way. You know, just those kind of touchstone uh, teachings that I think are perennial. Uh, and then when I got into jazz, there was something more specific where maybe a bass player would say, hey, when you comp for me, try not to get in my register. I'd say, okay, got it, great. Or uh, can you tilt your amp a little bit away from me because it's too loud. Or, or I, I mean, I remember being a kid people saying, I can't hear you. I had kind of a shy complex where I was always too quiet. Um, people say, no, you can, you know, actually you need to be a little louder so that the whole band sounds better. Um, and compared to that, I mean, I, I, I pursued any critical feedback. I would go up to people and say, what could, I, what could be better? How did you do that? And my father and I would discuss it a lot too. Um, 
yeah, so I, I, I was probably the most critical of myself at anyone I was around. Yeah, you were very proactive in bettering yourself, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first time you got paid for a gig? I think the first gig I did I got paid for. I was uh, <laughs> I played someone's birthday. If I'm not I sat in with a local band. Um, led, I think it was led by Michael Dolan, who um, I presume he was kind of the guitar repair cat in Santa Rosa, and also um, built really great guitars. And I, I believe he paid—I don't know if it, you know—it might have been twenty-five dollars, fifty dollars, or something. But I remember getting paid up front for a lot, like when I was young, uh, for things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I reflect on it, brother. I think about it. My 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 childhood was so so much about hunkering down and working like I never felt any pressure to uh, really be on the spot it was before YouTube the way YouTube functioned it was before the sense of like if you're good or you're doing something at a young age you have to be known I was a secret for like I really felt like that from from a very early age and even once I had these public you know appearances or whatnot I didn't make I started when I was five and I was doing it seriously but I didn't really make a record of my own size about 21 yeah. you know so I I've been hiding most most of growing up, so I, I um, though I was active and working, I, I was still act, also actively kind of putting on the brakes, you know. Yeah. Well, I know you you went academically uh, to school for music after high school, but did you have any music in school during during high school? Well, uh, in a way, you know, I, I had an, I I, uh, I I studied with a lot of people th- during you know from elementary school through high school that. Um, and, and as, as a consequence, the school district, which is very progressive and hip, um, they said, you know, we can't offer you music training like that, you know, so I would be, so why don't we work with you to have a tutor or independent study when necessary so that you can go fulfill this thing that you seemingly have a propensity for. So I remember being, you know, uh, I guess I would have been a little more junior high or something, but I'd be going to LA a lot to study with Jody Oreo and drive over <laughs> I'd take a few days off for that trip and come back, and then I'd do my schooling. And then I graduated early with a, um, what is that called? A proficiency exam. It kind of, say the yeah. California, you know, early if you, you promised you're going to go to college. So I said, okay, I promise, and I did it. And so uh, so I, I was always kind of one foot out the door with, with, with that education. So, um, you probably didn't have to... Uh convince your parents of the validity of you know music they probably saw you were serious you didn't have to have that conversation with them like oh i'm not doing this or you know i don't need a degree in this or whatever but when it came time to to go to school and all that was there even any moment of with them where they thought oh you need to have a backup plan or some other degree or anything like that <laughs> no you know no there wasn't uh uh my and I, and I recognized that my experience was kind of unusual. You know, I was, I only applied to Berkeley College of Music and um, not because I didn't have interest in other schools. I just had been, um, you know, in Gary Burton's band for a while. He had just recently left as the, the president of the school. You know, he's running the school at Berkeley. And so he, he left and his, the whole Berkeley ethos was just kind of a part of my life via Berkeley, I mean, via Gary. So I, I thought... Okay, well, I might as well just put my eggs in this basket, see if it makes sense, um, and it did. But there wasn't, there wasn't that pressure from my my parents at all. No, once I went to college, I started. Um, 
a simultaneous program to become a teacher of something called the Alexander Technique. And that was a five-year program in Cambridge. So I kind of had, I wouldn't say it was a backup, but it was a very non-musical endeavor that I did simultaneously. That was fun, you know, and important for me. But um, my parents were nothing but supportive. During all the elementary through high school gigs and stuff that you were doing, did you have to, like, hold up your end of the bargain with, with regular school? Was that something <laughs> your parents harped on? Yeah, they, 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 were, they didn't harp on it. I, I, was, I was a good student, you know, so I, I, was, I liked school. Um, I was, it was clear that my academic <laughs> pursuits really just had to be the, you know, I just had to get through it. Uh, yeah. I wasn't really trying to transcend it. And, uh, yeah. But, but um, once again, the school was very supportive. And, and, uh, and I can't, you know, again, being the youngest of five, my you know, disposition towards school and music wasn't the only thing going on in our family, you know. So I remember the attention being very much spread around the, my sisters and my brother, and, and I just happened to be one of the family. So I, I think that was worked in my favor, that there wasn't a lot of pressure other than to just kind of do my best, try to be happy, and then um, and, uh, and that combined with my parents' support it was, huge. It was huge. I don't take it for granted. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Yeah, I remember specifically like once high school started, I was already gigging a lot. So it became like, how can I put in the least amount of effort to maintain maybe B's all the way across yeah. the board in school so that <laughs> nobody gets on my back ever and I could keep playing gigs. <laughs> you just kind of do what you ever, whatever your goal is, get that done so no one bugs you. I exactly. Yeah, and my my parents were really supportive too. My grandparents were really upset when I didn't go to college, but I knew mm -hmm. like you know I, I I needed to be gig. I was already gigging a lot, and I needed to be just full time into that. At least in my mind, I thought that was the right move. But yeah, they were bummed, but my parents were always cool with it. Well, man, I think it's a, that's amazing, by the way, and, and I think you and I are, are very lucky, you know, in that respect. I, I project because I I have met students and young people who, you know are so talented and they tell you like my parents they i i have to get a degree i'm not they don't think this is legitimate and i i have tremendous empathy for someone in that situation because that's that means your job is probably working a lot harder than most and um yep uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, the, it made all the difference to have somebody, you know, who would, you know, take you to the gigs, watch over you, make sure you were okay. You know, I mean, because like you, you're doing this as, a, you know, a little kid, and same. I was playing these bars till four in the morning as a twelve year old. You know, and you, you have to have somebody willing to do that with you. <laughs> oh no, you have, and someone who knows that you have, you're a, you need to nurture your heart and your mind. You know, it's not, it's not a. A vaudeville act that we're, you yeah. know they're trying to put you and also you know uh, what what drafts and just hearing you talk about it, Josh is like at this point, like if I saw a young person showing great you know interest and passion and love and dedication to something, it, it's a pretty remarkable thing. I would think, wow, I mean, go get get them like that's that's it's not a given that you're driven to do anything, right? So um, yeah. I, I I would imagine from our family's perspective, they were stoked, you know, to see us flourish. And, uh, uh, I, yeah, very, I, I don't know about yours, but I know mine were excited just to see that I was dedicated to something and they knew it wasn't, 
you know, a passing fad or it was for real, you know, and I was going to do it no matter what, whether I had their approval or not. And I think that was what it took. And what's interesting is it came full circle on me. Um, I have a 15 year old son, but when he was four, uh, people started asking to cast him in movies and TV things here in LA. And he started to get these little jobs and I was totally against it. But then as he got to be seven, eight, he started to express how much he loved it. And he started to get more and more jobs and be really into it. And I was totally against it until I realized it was the most hypocritical thing I could do to think he doesn't know what he enjoys as a young kid, you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. now he's, he's way more successful than I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that beautiful? That's great. Yeah. It's a different era, man. It's a different. I, I swear to goodness, there's. I think for for anyone who's kind of in the public eye nowadays, I do think they're contending with things that I I can't relate to. I, no one commented on my life, you know, publicly. I was, I I had a, a real kind of different environment. So I would imagine that there's uh, tools that a young person today who's successful that they have to cultivate that maybe I didn't, you know. <laughs> Well, it's funny, man. I was having this discussion with uh, a guitar player younger than us recently about YouTube. And I think we were somewhere playing somewhere together at a gig. And he lamented at the end of the gig how it wasn't his best. And, oh, fuck, that's going up on YouTube. And I wish he wouldn't get up there. And he goes, do you ever worry about that? And I realized, no, I don't ever even spend a second of thought on that. But I think it's because I'm from the generation previous where it was just like whatever you know gigs over it's over you know <laughs> yes yeah, exactly you know it's a different kind of we have other existential uh issues <laughs> exactly. <laughs> dude so so when college is is wrapping up and you're gigging all the time you've put out your first solo records um when when does it become clear like you can you know maybe make a living only doing your own solo stuff and that that's that's the route from now on wow that's a really great question these are all great questions josh um that uh well you know what's what strikes me now and presumably i was kind of thinking about this in college is that the people i look to and admire who are band leaders uh work really hard at being band leaders it wasn't like the select few who are good enough get deemed band leaders it's like you know so if if you know i i, I set about saying well no one's going to ask me to they're not going to pluck me out of the crowd and say we what well, you know we want to hear your music and only your music i, I had to kind of make a case for it so uh i started a band towards the end of college we made these records we did the thing and i i think i i, I frankly think i've been on the same path ever since that nothing's changed it's kind of a matter of uh Playing shows, critiquing, kind of understanding what works, what's coming, what's translating, what's not, um, what's feeding the greater conceptual art vision, and what's detracting from it, um, and then just kind of weighing all of those, um, I guess, attributes, and, and saying, well, uh, if I want this to, if I want all a focus to go towards my own project, this this one area needs to be a little sharper. Let's say it's compositionally. Like, okay, well, the compositions need the same DNA as however I play natively. And then I would make something go, oh, wow, that did kind of clarify my, uh, my, my position or my disposition as an artist. And then I'd say, okay, well, now the tone needs to be clear 
and the touch needs to be clear, and the improvisational language needs to be clear. And um, I consider it a great privilege to keep honing all of those. Um, and, and as uh, uh, what's the word? Like, as a result of that, I noticed that my position as a band leader or someone who has their own music from outside me seems to be clear. You know, okay, this guy really wants. He really has something he wants to say, whether it's good or not. It's another. Uh, but I do think it's a matter of work. Uh, working hard at, at that, um, you know. Yeah. Also, I, mean, I have to attribute it to the people I grew up around. I mean, I grew up around Grisman, David Grisman, and Bela Fleck, and Matheny, people who really said, "This is my thing, okay." And every aspect of it is going to be clear. I'm not going to do it some of the time. I'm going to do it all of the time, and I'm going to do it consistently. And I'm going to do it at a high level. So I, I, I definitely am following the footsteps of people who said that that's important. Um, yeah. No. And by the same time, I grew up with people who were leaders some of the time, but also incredible collaborators, and, and I didn't feel like that they should be leaders. So, But I, 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 I definitely latched on to a certain path, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, such, you know, when you kind of make that choice to be a leader as your main thing, obviously <laughs> you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself, especially as you get older and you want to do things like start a family and, you know, have a home and things like that. But also there's nothing more rewarding than, you know, finding a path that even having some success in that, it, it pushes you to keep doing it. You know, there, it's nothing like that feeling. Oh, brother, absolutely. Well, it just underline what you're talking about. It's like, it's a, you're talking about a shift in like your commitment. Like, mm -hmm. Maybe earlier on, I didn't think, I, I questioned whether it was worth the time or, you know, because I'm, I'm very happy to also play a gig with someone and play rhythm guitar for them all day. That's my favorite, right? But the, the shift in your commitment changes, I think it can. And for me, it's like, well, no matter what this garners, it's worth the attention I put into it. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it's, important. it's important to me, as it is for you. Dude, you mentioned Bela, so I'm just curious. The first time you sit down and play with Bela Fleck, is it just like you don't even understand what's – I mean, I, I used to be obsessed as a kid with his music, and just the fact that he invented what he – it's like it didn't exist before he did it, you know, and it's a, I, I'm still kind of obsessed with him. What, what was that like? <laughs> Oh, well, 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 have you played with him since? Or no, have you no, I've met him a couple times, but I don't really know him or anything, no. Well, he will love you when you guys play, and I imagine that all that's imminent. He's a gentleman, you know. Bela's one of the sweetest cats around, and he's uh, by far the most humble and like, yeah, deeply curious students of music. You know, we all we are we're all part of that family here. Uh, uh, and so I, the first time I played with him, I don't have, I don't remember what we played. Maybe we played. I think it was backstage at a show that Grisman took me to. Uh, maybe he played like Summertime or something. You know, or like like one of those standards that like everyone kind of can get on board with or we played a blues sure. or something. And, and it was just very clear that this guy's uh, attention was so focused on uh, listening to me. You know that feeling when you play with someone where you realize they're processing everything you're doing and they're, almost, they're like off of it well th that's the energy that i was i've always felt from bayless that he uh ingratiates himself musically to whoever he's playing with and um so there's not like a he's not just like blazing fast showing all the stuff he can do he's really making me feel like 
I can't play without you. You know, it's that high level. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. thing. So, so I, I always felt very at ease. I always felt incredibly comfortable around him. Um, mm-hmm. And he always, he has a way of doing that. And then you zoom out and you think about what he just played. And you go, God, that was unreal. Superhuman. <laughs> did, did you realize at the time, you know, because you're so young, how kind of amazing that whole thing was being around those type of guys. Cause when I, when I see guys like him or, or Burton or, you know, or whatever, all the guys that I grew up idolizing, the thing that strikes me now, like in, in, you know, removed from it is I was really, really kind of in all of the hours, like, yes, they have a gift that they were built, born with, but holy cow, the amount of hours. Cause now I know exactly what they've put into it. I didn't then, you know, right. 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 I, it, Totally, totally, John. Like, yeah, now I see it. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, Gary Burns is a great example of someone who consistently, I think of something, I heard Frizzell said something similar to this, but it's like, you think of an idea for a project, and then you always have to go and see if Gary did it first. And you go, oh, yeah. You know, know, a national country thing. with Oh, I guess he already did that in 1968. Funny. Oh, he already did. So, I've come to appreciate them. When it was going down as a young person, no, I didn't. I didn't know anything. I just thought, here's a really nice person who's really, you know, encouraging, and we sound good together. So, um, yeah. I'm grateful I didn't know more. <laughs> you know, I wasn't. I didn't have that out of body perspective. Uh, yeah, like maybe I think I do now. But I, I well, it's hard to know that stuff as a young kid. I remember playing at this club in Fort Lauderdale, and. To me, it was just another Thursday night. But looking back on it, was oh, I played shotgun with Junior Walker and the All Stars, you know? And it was like, you know, I can't even believe that happened. Now I would freak out. Then I had no idea what I was doing. You know? yeah. <laughs> Thank God you didn't know any better. Just, just play yeah. your guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, before we get into the ten questions, I'm curious um, about the Telecaster. And I'm wondering when you when you kind of started to play the telly more often, did something click? Like was was there a moment when you just like it clicked for you? Because I, I remember that moment for me vividly. For you, I'm very curious because you played telly so great. What was it? Well, man, it was weird. I had I had been a strat guy for most of my childhood and my upbringing, and I'd had tellies but never had like the one. And I'd moved out here, so I was twenty years old 21 years old and i got hired to go on the road as a sideman which is why i moved here at the time and i was going out with this guy who won american idol taylor hicks it was like a blue-eyed soul kind of singer and i needed a telecaster and somehow this guy who built this guitar was from the bay area from san jose uh, bill chapin he built me this guitar like super fast because i needed it but it was like everything clicked and i realized i was a telly guy really in denial my whole life and i don't know how <laughs> i held it off so long being such a fan of so many telly players you know but yeah. i it was instantly like all of a sudden i felt like there was no barrier between like what i was thinking and and the actual sound i wanted to accomplish i could actually do it now Did, what was it like for you kind of well, my dad, you know, when I, we were talking about early stuff before, you know, my dad played a telly, and I played a strap. I always, there was always a telly around, and uh, my father, I, I give him credit, 100% credit for this. This was years ago, and he was relicking his telly. He's an artist, a visual artist, and he would, you know, take it to the frets and make it, you know, way before, way before other cats are doing it. So I always had this association with my father and telecasters. I, I played his a lot. Um, 
I was I was in California, and I was thinking about a telly. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I think this might be the next thing for me. And I went to Griffin uh, Music in Palo Alto uh, and bought a Nash telly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember, I, remember I, was, I was there with my parents, and we happened to be having lunch that day. I was teaching out there, and they came to meet me. And uh, I played this guitar. I said, man, see, if I could own one of these... That would be like my dream. And they're like, well, that's out. You can. You can buy a guitar. <laughs> you can give them money and it's yours. I was like, all right. And it's a problem, so it's more affordable than, uh, you know, I been, I was previously playing like old 30s L5s and old, you know, I thought, well. Ex- you know, expensive stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I better be into this for a minute. Uh, so I bought it. I took it home. I loved it. I started playing it on gigs. And I wasn't very good on the telly. I pointedly would say that I that was true. I, I, my touch wasn't there, but I would kind of force it on a gig. I, one or two songs a set, I would say, I gotta play the telly. And then I I think I just started realizing that maybe I wanted something different in a telly than that. Uh, although it's, it's still a great, really great, great telly. Um, and so I started getting going down that rabbit hole of like, well, a telly isn't just a telly. There's maple there's these pickups there's that there. and so that led me towards Dana Caster tellies and that was maybe the first time I felt oh well this this is what I'm going to make a record with because I think I relate to it it was a little bit lighter had a certain thing blah 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 uh, and then that led me to playing an old 50s telly 54 Blackguard and that was uh <laughs> uh, well, that kind of came down the pipe from Jeff Tweedy who I, was talking to Nels about me and my telly obsession and I knew Jeff a little bit and Jeff was saying to Nels well if Julian can swing it or find a refinished one tell him it's very important that he finds a black guard and, and you know because it's, it's, I just think it's more and, and Jeff is one of the great enablers of, of guitar <laughs> No ownership because he he, he he knows right he knows what exists and he'll he's, he's, he likes to support his friends. So long story short, I found a '54 Telly that was refinished, affordable. Um, uh, to me, at least, it felt like okay, I can. This is worth it, and I'll sell this, and I'll do okay. I can make this happen, and um, and that was the moment where I think I was like, okay, that's the thing that connects to Jimmy Bryant. And this, you know, and this kind of tone that I'm looking for, that's that, and that plus an old late '50s tweed champ. When I got the amp and guitar combination going, I thought, mm-hmm. well, this is actually everything before that was really great and helped me. But that was the first time I thought, well, this is my sound. And and since I played a bunch of times, I kind of realized you can get that sound with a, really anything. But that's the I heard the sonic profile that was worth hunting down. Um, what what do you think? is the the biggest key do you think it's the single coils and the scale length uh, i think it's the scale length is the biggest thing but you play l5s they're the same scale like I, I'm, I'm i'm weird about that uh, like i don't like 175s because they're gibson scale and the the neck pickups in a weird spot it doesn't sound right i like l5s or super fours you know but it's to me it's got to be that the scale i think is the biggest difference in the clarity i think i think so. i think you're right i mean i i, I think the yeah, the single coil is a big part of it. The yeah, uh, I think that's part of it. You know, I remember, I, I remember, uh, uh, God, I don't remember when this was. A long time ago, I was opening for Steely Dan in New York, mm-hmm. and 
with Walter Becker and uh, Night Bob. I don't know if you ever knew him. That was kind of his right-hand man guitar. Yeah, player. yeah. Um, and I, I, I didn't know uh, either men very well. Uh, but Night Bob, I remember, I remember Walter Becker seeing my telly and sound shoes, the old, the, the 50s one, and he said, oh, see, this feels right. And he handed it to Night Bob, and Night Bob said, oh, I'll tell you why. It's because... The neck weighs this much, and the body weighs this much, and and I don't know if he was right or not. Presumably he was, but he had this sense for uh, he kind of weigh out each part, even though the guitar was put together. <laughs> and I didn't know. What, and then later, I think I think I found out that he was spot on because I mean these guys live and breathe guitars. But what what he was talking about, which I think made sense to me, was I like tellies where the neck is kind of heavy and the body's light. So. More so than heavier body tellies with really comfortable thinner necks, and um, so to me, that ratio is very evident. Like if a telly isn't well balanced from body to neck, I feel it. I tend to notice it and kind of get choose not to play it. And, and, and when I've played strats or even other Les Pauls or other guitars, I'm, I feel more forgiving. Where if they're a little lopsided one way or the other, it doesn't really bother me. But I there's a balance. When it's struck on a telly, it can kind of, or an Esquire, it feels very noticeable to me. Um, Interesting. It's the longest part of it, absolutely. Um, the pickups are a part of it. And, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's the whole thing. I also, i got to say this. Though I, I'm a big believer that there are great tellies in the world, don't get me wrong, there's a reason there are these special ones, and we all talk about them or, or look to them. I, I think part of the beauty of tellies is that a lot of people make great tellies. It's not yeah. so... You know, I've, I've played tellies that are very inexpensive, that are incredible, and I think that that um, I think that's cool. That can't be said for all guitars. I haven't played a lot of, you know, I shouldn't even say anything. I should stop talking now. But I'll just <laughs> say, I think it rewards the builder and their intent, and that's a nice yeah. thing. I know exactly what you're saying. It's like it's the most simple guitar that there is really and yet somehow for me it's the most versatile one i could pick up it's the one i could take to a standards gig or to an r&b gig or a country gig or a rock and roll gig and be 100 percent comfortable and there's no other guitar in in my arsenal that i feel that way about i get it brother you and you do amazing things with it i've seen oh, it which <laughs> you've taken that belief far i love it <laughs> thanks dude all right, let's uh, let's jump into the ten questions, shall we? All right, number one. When you first started learning and playing with your dad, going to the lessons, what was the first thing that when you got it under your fingers, it kind of clicked, and you were like, "I can't believe I just figured this out." And you know, like it sets the hook, like there's no turning back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was that. I mean, the very first thing on the first day was probably it. My dad showed me two things that he had learned his lessons. One was that. The Ray Charles. Yes. Man, that is as good as it gets, and I could do it. It was all cool. That was one. And then the, the, I mean, maybe it was the next day my father taught me what an A pentatonic, like what a blue, A A pentatonic scale, my pentatonic scales, and the fact that you can have uh, the same scale but in a different position. That was like right. His, his thing was so hip because he was saying, I'm going to teach you scale, I'm going to play a blues, anything you play is right. Like that was the whole ethos. So uh, I, I remember that thing. And going, wow, that's the most elegant you know, 
thing I've ever seen. Um, and what about the first time you take that into your room and a song comes on the radio and you yeah. find the key and you're able to play something over some song? It's like, bam, you, I can't even, yeah, that feeling was amazing. That's what I do today when I practice. Nothing's changed. I'm practicing the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, that, that marvel is, is part of, um, you know, I don't know. It's, that's part of why it's, you know, why we keep coming back trying to get better. Yep, exactly. All right, number two. What's the first solo that you ever loved so much you had to learn it note for note? Or was that something you didn't do? Well, it's, it's so funny. I was just talking to my teacher, Randy Vincent, who I grew up studying with the most, about this yesterday. I, I, never, I never learned solos, really. A couple. There was a couple that I learned. Um, I attribute it partly to uh, uh, um, laziness. Like I, 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 It's almost like I, I, I would like things so much, I'd think, I, I, I'm, that's cool. And I, anyway, I can't really tackle that. Like it was almost like I, um, I couldn't even imagine learning it, and I was very content not knowing how to play things I like. <laughs> that's one of my that's about myself. I really don't have to know how to do it. I, and if anything, I think that the, the, the mystique is that I don't get it. Having said that, there was a, I think it was maybe West Montgomery solo on Full House where I learned part of it because I thought I, I, I just kind of couldn't crack the code. There was, uh, there were like passages from uh, Bill Evans solo on uh, My Funny Valentine on Undercurrent with Jim Hall. There's a very particular architecture to this one passage and I just couldn't, you know, nothing I did to mimic it worked. So I said, okay, well, fine. But I never wrote anything down and I never really transcribed. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how you, you can love something so much that you don't even want to attempt it. I was realizing that recently with Eddie Van Halen passing that I listened to Van Halen most of my life and love it and never really tried to sit down and learn any of his stuff. It was, it was almost like I treated it just like a fan. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, brother, that, it, that's, that's, that's a nice place to be, too, you know, because yeah. uh, I don't think it precludes you from learning from those people. I just think it, right. uh, it maybe saves you the step of getting too close that you lose perspective and then lose interest. Uh, you just are kind of a perennial lover of the person, and I think that's a nice uh, space to occupy as a music student. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, man. All right. Well, number three, what's the first thing you play when you pick up a guitar? Do you just have somewhere your hands go on autopilot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like these frets a lot. I always, I'm always kind of <laughs> the low register of the guitar. Um, and that started over the last few years more. I, I kind of, I had this uh, realization that, uh, that we all have a like a native register that we're used to when we connect to our speaking and my speaking voice is relatively it sits higher up than not and yet uh, if I am here it's a little A flat it's kind of that's the range I hear thoughts you know my my voice is like, and all this all that's great but it's it's almost like um. That's really high. It's really too. It's unsettlingly high. So I, if I'm, I kind of like muddy. I like things that are, have this kind of low uh, things. I find it grounding. 
and, and it's usually improvised. I don't, you know, have a warm. Yeah. I don't do anything or do anything. Well, like when you get to the gig and you flip standby for the first time, is there something that just always comes out to make sure shit's working? You know? uh, I don't know. It's such a great question. There probably is, and, 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 and uh, I might not even be conscious of it. Uh, uh, I think resonance is really interesting with a sound check, right? Because you want to know what's if, how loud you are and what's going on, and... I don't really have much in the way of a signal chain. You know what I mean? I don't have nothing. I don't need to turn anything on. The main thing is, is knowing if the room is how it operates. So things that are uh, kind of glowy and kind of like like even uh, things that are just open and kind of or even things like things that have weird overtones. I think that's usually a good indicator uh, versus. Like a line where it's it's kind of startling. So, um, yeah, long tone things that are held. I usually something play. full range that gives you a a, a lay of the land. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that leads to kind of this question, and maybe it's a flat because you just said it. But do you have like a key, a style, or like a groove that just kind of narrates during the day, like when you're cooking or driving? Like I, I, I can never get out of hearing a shuffle normally in B flat. For me, I'm just hearing ba doom, ba doom, ba doom all the time, and I'm hearing an improv over the top. You know, something swinging. Do you, do you notice that ever? Like something just running in there. That's so. I want. I want to be like you, Josh. That's cool. That's why you're so in the pocket. <laughs> it's really true. That because I, uh, that makes sense that you hear that so natively. Uh, I, I, mine is a little more. Um, uh, it's not a groove per se. It's a little more, uh, I don't want to say frenetic, but it's kind of like, uh, uh, words are failing me or I'm failing them. Let's see. Things like that is kind of what's going through my head of like, kind of more speech like patterns. So, uh, yeah. Better or worse, you know, I would like to say that it's a groove, um, but it, it's a little more abstract, Frank. It's, you think it's, it's um, in time? I, the, the, by my definition of time, yes. <laughs> it's certainly got a cadence, uh, but it's... Uh, <laughs> Like those kind of, it's rolling rubato music, you know. That's what yeah. I'm. That's my, that's my obsession in life, and that comes from. You know. How do you see those? Uh, I mean, the intervals that you play. Do you like? I'm I'm curious about this because for me, I see them like like flashcards almost in my brain. It screams like play root fifth or play root. You know what I mean? Like like I see. What what are you thinking when you're going through like that? Oh, that's that's an interesting question. I, uh, I, it's not that uh, I, I'm not that I'm not fast enough to. Uh, process. Well, I can't play it that fast, but I know that's the way. It like it almost like it shows up in my in my brain. Like play this, you know. Yeah. That, that's that's hip, and I I I, I don't. Uh, well, well, I'll, I'll answer it a different way. Maybe if it, if, I, 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 if it's of any interest, I I um. One of my life 
long obsession thus far has been uh, really honoring the fact that uh, our physicality, if partnered with our intellect and our understanding of guitar, um, is as good as a thought. Like in other words, I think people, uh, there's a kind of a, a, a notion, especially in guitar and pedagogy, that you don't, don't just play what feels good under your hands. You, it needs to be a considered, thoughtful, musical thing. And then you express it. I, I, I have an issue with that because I actually think uh, movement is sometimes quicker than thought. And it can be very elegant. And, and ideally, I want to be... Um, I'm trying to move in a fashion that is as informed as my theoretical knowledge. So, And what I mean by that is that if I go... There's a physical uh, logic to that that I'm experiencing. It, so one, it feels good to me. Uh, it also looks good, and, and good being it looks healthy. It, it's almost like if you watched a dancer move, you can go, "Oh, that that looks pleasant." You know, then it's not. I'm not work. I'm not working too hard. And then third, there's an analytical approach where you could say, "Well, that's functional because it's a C sharp major of an A, and that has today major with a sharp fifth, and that has this certain implication, and you can resolve." But um, in a, in a way, I'm trying. I've always been trying to elevate. The kind of casual physical gestures to a more um, to a higher level, and say if it if you do it because it feels good, there's there's probably something great about it, um, or at least that's always what I deduce from watching BB King. You know, was like yeah. it looks good, it probably feels amazing. And we all know it sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, so as a consequence, I've, I've I've been lazy when it comes to that rapid fire thing, which I know I, several players who have that ability, and I can see them. Seeing it light up, I, 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 uh, I guess I'm, a, I'm more holistic in that respect, um, and it's not for everybody. It just happens to be the way I think about it. Yeah, but you, man, you've just like tied together, like that. You know, like you said, the thought with uh, also kind of what you're feeling. That's important in there, and then yeah, the physical ability to actually pull those two things off: what you're feeling and what you're hearing. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> You know, it's no different than the kicking a soccer ball. So you kind of have to kick it. You can, as long as your leg moves and feels good, you're probably doing it something right. And then you can add the theory. So I'm, 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 I'm obsessed with that. But that, maybe that's for another conversation. I don't well, know. it's amazing how much technique drives improvisation. It's like I get questions a lot about hybrid picking because I hybrid pick everything. And it's like, well, it's something that's not easy to teach because I do it in the way that feels comfortable physically to me it's more of a physical thing so you're going to do it completely in a different way than i would ever do it you know you know what brother hybrid picking is the perfect example of where things are lost in translation often because yeah i've you used you all, i've also watched your videos talking about it. you're amazing at it you you've like figured out how to do it i've struggled with talking about certain things like that because um uh the the, the perennial question is how do you know once you've done it right you know, so you have is that it? Is that it? Is that and and and, and uh, there's a it's there's too many questions that need to be answered. So I always I kind of I stay out of it, but that sums it up. So hybrid picking is it's almost like my experience of the guitar is way more left hand focused than even right hand. So whatever the world of hybrid picking is is kind of where I find my attention. Um, some call it contrapuntal. Uh, it's for me. It all comes from the masters of like listening to Keith 
or you know Paul Blay or Cecil Taylor or Jackie Byard or these cats who had a very particular way of kind of being maximalists on the instrument but never never uh, it never feels like an avalanche but it's it's they're very very active engaged it's, it's different than what was going on with the bebop generation you know sure I'm a nerd so you cut me off I know we don't have no that makes out. that makes complete sense to me yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, number five. This leads us to when did you feel like you started to find your voice on the instrument, like as an improviser? Was there a moment where you kind of realized now you had found something that was maybe yours and you should further kind of push down that path? That's a great question. Uh, I, 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 uh, My experience of it has always been kind of funny, man. Because I, I, I don't, I, I, I felt like my whole life I kind of I've been playing the same thing since I was a kid. I, not, I haven't changed all that much, for not, not always for the better. But what I mean by that is what I would notice is I would have certain predilections as a player. I okay, I tend to like these types of phrases, whatever. And I, what has changed over the course of my life is that I would is who I've played those played that way around. In other words, I remember playing at a young age with other players who were really chopsy and could do a lot of things. And I would go back play my thing, whatever, it's all I can really think of at the time. And I would go, oh, this is noticeably slower than what they did. I guess I'm a slow player. Okay, whatever. And then there would be a point where, so i think, okay, cool, I'm cool with that. And then there'd be a point where I would start playing with people and I'd be practicing a lot of technical stuff and working facility and te picking techniques. This is, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years. And I'd play with other people and I'd notice that I was playing a lot faster than them. I'd say, oh, wow, I'm kind of becoming one of, I'm becoming a player who's a little more flashy. Like, okay, that's, I need to keep an eye on this and make sure that it's done in a, in a, in a heartfelt, meaningful way, right? And then I started, I started noticing that I play more in the bluegrass or acoustic music community, right? Uh, with my buddy Chris Eldridge and, and the wonderful musicians that And I kind of would notice that, I, again, playing more or less the same stuff, I have to say. But I would think, I'm, I'm kind of a weirdo. Like, I, comparative to some of the stuff, I, I'm pushing things in a certain way that, uh, I don't mean pejorative weirdo, I just mean yeah. I, I have a take that's always a little bit contrary. And I guess I should cultivate that. So. Uh, the way I look at developing a voice is kind of like whatever you notice you're doing that other people aren't, I guess I need to own up to it and either get rid of it or cultivate it. So currently I'm cultivating a different part of my voice, but I've been cultivating the same voice since the day I started. I just, I'm just focusing on different parts of it. Interesting. Um, you think you were aware of that early on that this was, you, you kind of had that voice? Yeah, well, I wasn't even so, uh, I had a very unromantic notion of having a voice, you know. I just meant gotcha. like, it's again, more like I can't, it's almost like uh, I can't help but talk the way I talk, you know. So I, I speak the way I speak. So I guess this is what I'm working with. It was always my, it wasn't like, I'm going to cultivate this dream. Yeah. I never really envisioned anything that I was going for. I just kind of uh, tried to make peace with whatever I was doing. That's been kind of more my agenda with it. And, uh, obviously, punctuated by times where I was completely out of my mind and thought I could be something I wasn't. You know, that's I remember seeing John McLaughlin as a kid and being like, I'm going to play really fast and learn to do it. And I would study and I, and I, and I just, I go, okay, 
right on. Maybe I'm not here on this planet to do that thing, and that's okay, you know. Uh, yeah. So it comes and goes, you know. But uh, but I, I do I do I, I guess I'll say this, Judge. I'm glad you asked it because I do feel like sometimes there's a narrative that's perpetuated with guitar education that says a player must know who they are. They must know what they're doing. And if it's a, all I would say is that I, I think um, I empathize with anyone who feels like that's a lot of pressure because it kind of implies your stuff is a blank canvas. And I, I do think we come into the world with certain karma, you know, guitar karma, uh, and we have to we're here to resolve it or not. So um, yeah, yeah, it's tough sometimes. It is tough. I mean, especially in improvised based music where we grew up with all these heroes who have a pretty distinctive voice and it's like immediately you think well how am i going to set myself apart from any of these guys who came before me they've done everything and it it can be very daunting (laughs) it can be it can be but 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 the cool thing that i know you you're someone i think who has a beautifully refined voice and you have for a long i mean it's like i hear you and i go i like again like i tell you i was listening to you today and i was like I just know your sound. I know what are you. It, it, it's it, it's worth saying that at those moments when, at least I've been like, well, I'm I'm definitely not felonious monk, you know. And realizing what we're not, I think it does shine a light on. It it, it gives us a space to occupy. I'm the guy who's not Jim Hall. <laughs> I guess I, guess, you know, I better make it cool. Um, so it can yeah. be a good thing. oh yeah that's a that's a huge part of it realizing not just realizing what you're not but being totally cool with it and not in a negative way like like, it's not like oh i don't know that i suck no it's it's okay i don't know that you know yeah thank god thank god it's all and all that you see over time that you're 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 meant to be very unique and you're meant to be your own expression of your own particular interests and um the guitar is a good instrument to remind us that same guitar, a million players, a million different sounds. That's that's kind of our business is is uniqueness. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. All right, number six. What do you consider your biggest weakness on the guitar? Oh uh, well, I I, can, I think I can answer that. Uh, I think I can answer that a couple of different ways. Uh, when I so, so I, I, I'm really interested in, in the voices that kind of go on in our head when we're practicing, right? I, and, I, and, I, and one way to talk about them is that I think there's a lot of self-hating voices that we contend with. The voices, you suck, that's not, you're never going to be, what, you know, whatever. And, and frankly, uh, in my lifetime, I've seen that there have been long periods, especially as a young person, well, I mean, really, to the present day, but... Where I I listen to those voices and I believe they were true, you know, and I practice thinking I they were real and that like no this is a this is a um, this is like a dualistic reality either you're good or you're the worst or you know and not, and not compared to other people but just to yourself and I, and I and my concerns is that I think there's a lot of self abuse that gets inflicted upon us as practicing musicians under the auspices of being motivated, driven, disciplined. And, I, and I'm talking very subtle stuff, the thing that just is that radio station in your head that's constantly uh, making you feel like garbage. And I think one of my weaknesses, especially growing up, was that I think I believed it was true because I heard it. And over the years, I've realized that that's kind of just like a broken record that's going to 
be there. It's whether you entertain it or not is kind of what defines your ability. Um, so I, I've been conned into that very disciplined, hard on myself world a lot. And, and frankly, it's, it's a waste of time. And, and, and looking back on it, I don't think I'm good because I listen to it. I think I'm good in spite of how I listen to a lot of really demanding, do it again, do it. That's not good. Change this. It was a waste of time, you know. Because um, yeah. it, it doesn't do much for your spirit. It just kind of, I'm not saying about you should be happy and love everything. I just don't even think it was productive. Yes. That's one of the reasons I'm, I, I get into, I noodle with stuff, and then I, you know, I, I end up suffering. Uh, I have, there's a lot of things on the guitar that I think of as weaknesses um, that I, I love. Like, I, 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 I can't, um, I can't play things evenly for very long before there's some kind of weird hiccup, <laughs> like a string of notes, and I kind of like that inevitably there'll be some awkward thing that I can't I can't quite reach it, so I gotta do this and then it's the kind of the, the mother of invention, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't always have a good gauge of um, uh, uh, how dark or bright my tone is. <laughs> That's something that I've, I, I, I'm getting better at it, but I... I I almost feel like I have selective frequency here. I can hear something one day and go, wow, it's a beautiful, warm sound, completely ignoring all this high sibilant information. <laughs> and then I'll hear on the record. I just, this happened the other day, I listened to a record I saw years ago. I, got, I must have had earplugs in when I listened back to this because I didn't hear any of that information. So yeah, that's, that's, what, that's kind of a weakness, you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, man. Like... I, my biggest weakness, at least the moments where I feel the actually like feel physically the weakness is like in the studio having to play like finger picked acoustic guitar, like trying to be James Taylor under a microscope, a lot of compression on every note perfectly clear, big time weakness. <laughs> you can't, that's you're that's no you're 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 that I don't even think that's a weakness. If we're talking that kind of thing, I, there's a long list of things I can't do where I just don't I'm not <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny. It's funny, like the, 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 the self hate, and just, just like the critical aspect of our own playing, being yeah. in isolation. I'm a guy who never cared. Like I, I would play stuff most of the time, let it go. It's gone. The day it's over. But I've spent the last eight months staring into a camera, playing by myself trying to build this YouTube channel and do different things. And I've noticed at times over the last few months, I'll be trying to, to you know, nail a phrase or an idea and not get it. And next thing I know, it's like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And it's like, I would never do something like that ever. And it's like, but man, it has to be perfect now. You know what I mean? It's weird how that comes and goes. It's weird. It's weird. It's worth it's worth noting, I, I, I have a very simple technique for it. I mean, it's nothing novel, but I, I keep a pad of paper near me when I practice. And I write down all the stuff I hear in my head that's so absurd, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it can be like, I wrote down today, I was practicing, just, you suck, you're never going to get this. And it sounds so harsh when I say it, but that's kind of the beauty. And when it's in our head, we don't really think it's, we just think it's the price of doing business as a practicing musician. When you write it out, it's, absolutely absurd you would never speak to anyone you love that you're way. right yeah. wow with it because that's what we do right but i i just i don't i'm over it i i, I don't think it actually does anything wow man 
That's you're right. Like the second you say it out loud or write it down, you realize what's this such bullshit? You know. <laughs> well, that's you know that's the thing. It's, it would be uh, you know it'd be one thing if that voice in your head was, was Segovia, but it's not. It's this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. All right, number seven. Who's a huge influence on your playing that people may be surprised to hear? Um. Well, I, 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 I'd be projecting if I thought someone would be surprised because I frankly think everyone is influenced by her. But Bonnie Raitt, Bonnie Raitt is I mean, that to me is like her and her singing, her phrasing, her disposition as a guitarist, um, her tone, her pacing. I mean, it's to me that's the. That's Mount Everest, you know, and it's maybe it's less obvious because it's not someone in the jazz world. Right. Um, um, I, 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 I uh, oh God, I was just talking about some. I, I can't imagine anyone cares who I, who I really like, who who are thinking today that they are thinking about who I listen to. But if, but if in case it's not obvious, like to me, someone like um, George Van Epps is huge. I don't play anything like him. Right, but uh, influence and, and um, there's kind of not a guitar player I'm not influenced by. I think uh, 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 I'm trying to think. If there's anyone else who who? Um, what singer would you say is the biggest Im influence on your improv? I'm curious about that. Well, see, I mean Aretha. Yeah, is, that's 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 that. No question. The 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 clarity and delivery of communication. Again, I play nothing like the way she sings, but yeah. there's. Why not, right? Let's go to the best. Uh, oh, there's, there's literally licks I can, I can point at that are 100 percent came straight from Aretha, Ray Charles, yeah. or Sam Cooke. Like that's where it came from. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We stop your search right now. That's that's that 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 does it for me. I mean, Randy Newman too. His his oh, cadence. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, very important to me uh, as a fan, but also as a practitioner. There's a lot I've learned, especially singers who don't have a lot of. Um, like they don't hold notes as much. I always think that there's a good parallel to be drawn between the singers who have more of a spoken uh, disposition because it, it reminds me of the, the volume I play where I don't actually get a whole lot of sustain. Uh -huh. um, uh, and it's a similar issue that I think jazz drummers confront where they don't have a lot of sustain other than the cymbal. So yeah. we're kind of like, uh, yeah, 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 like more staccato considerations. Um, yeah, what else, my friend? Did you ever try and sing? No. I mean, I've sung before for things I had. I, I, I don't. I don't like singing. I don't. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> uh, I sang on with Critter and on a, a certain time when we were touring, and you know, I was inaudible, so that was good. I, 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 I it's funny. I, I, I think singing is wonderful. Obviously, I, I didn't grow up singing. No one in my family really sang, and so I don't. I have a, an awkward, you know, notion about it. It doesn't. It's not liberating to me. It is, it's kind of alien. And I, I've, I like speaking. I mean, that's the thing. It's, I, I, what I've come to see is that my favorite singers are, it's not about the fact that there's a pitch and they're holding notes. It's They're, they're saying, hey, buddy, I'm talking to you, and here's what I want to convey. So yeah. From, in a lot of my world, the teaching is more in the, the lecture room, so it kind of, that's as close as I get to using my voice. Interesting.
Yeah, it's it's still alien to me, and I've been doing it on gigs since I was 13 years old. I, I, I knew even then, like as a kid, it was important, and I needed to just go ahead and bite the bullet and do it. But it's still, like even 30 years on, feels relatively weird and not natural like playing the guitar to me. That's so interesting. Yeah, well, you're, 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 you're doing it great. I've heard it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Number eight, would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa? A great amp and not a great guitar in a gig situation. Oh, definitely a great guitar and a shitty amp. I've, I've been in the other and it's okay. so fun. I mean, yeah, let's say great guitar. Shitty Interesting. Amp. I'm the opposite. And it's been split 50-50. Everybody is different. I I know the audience will get a better performance from me if I have an amp that I can kind of deal with and whatever guitar, as long as it stays in tune, you know. But but vice versa, if, if I took this guitar and was forced to play the whole night through, you know, I don't know, a crate or something, it probably wouldn't be as good a gig. Yeah, yeah I understand that. When I first got a telly, I made a point to play through what I consider not great amps on the bridge pickup with no reverb and I just to see like what's the worst case scenario and yeah I at peace with my playing and really kind of it was it was it talked about like a kind of masochistic mentality that was <laughs> not pleasant but I did I did realize that like at the end of the day it's a touch thing for me that I can work with um, but amps are confused I I, I, I I love amps um, but I also I'm kind of you know dumb about certain aspects um, by choice. I I I I, I kind of stay out of it. But I, but I know what I love. I, I played these magic amps. Mike Moody yeah. makes them out. Yeah. I off the old things and they seem to do the job. So nice, nice. All right, fair enough. Number nine. What keeps you excited and pushing forward and learning new stuff? Um, Having played for so long and still being relatively, you know, at a young age, how do you keep, like, the fire burning? It's easy to get burnt out. And on the other side of that, we all have seen guys, now that we've been playing long enough and had careers, where they were like our heroes as a, as a youngster, and maybe now they're the age, I mean, maybe now we're the age they were when we were hanging out with them, and they don't play quite as good anymore, you know? And do you worry about that ever? Well, it's such a good question um no not really not really i don't worry too much about that i worry about a lot of things but not that you know i worry about uh i, I worry about the reason something i play is compelling and making sure understanding that there there are things that are compelling creatively but maybe don't speak to um, the spiritual side of sound creation. You know what I mean? They're like they're dazzling in a way. Wow, oh, cool! But they don't they don't um, offer a, a kind of a gateway into it. It's something else, transcendent. You know that those are the heroes we're talking about, whether it be Coltrane or Jim all these people. And so I, I, I've often felt uh, like it's really important to. Keep the focus on the intention and the message, no matter what the technical agenda might be. And often that intention, spiritual intention, isn't isn't something that you practice when you're just at the instrument, right? It's kind of it's it's you're practicing of being present in any given moment. And uh, 
I, I'm good to paint a picture of that. I remember towards the end of his life, I saw Jim play, Jim Hall play in New York. And I, I you know, Jim's my guy, right? He's That's the guy who I was very lucky yeah. to be around. My hero. Um, but he was playing a show at Birdland, and he, it, was, it was wonderful. And I, I remember there, there was a pointed frailty to certain things he would play, and you'd go to hit a note sometimes, and the note wouldn't sound, or he would, you know, something would just... And I really remember vividly seeing that, okay, here's a cat whose body is acting differently than it did for the majority of his life. You know, he's in, he's in how it's the same person, but he's inhabiting a body that's functioning very differently, and it's not about knowing the right thing to do. It's it literally isn't doing that, right? It's yeah. And I remember being so moved by the experience that, in many respects, it was the clearest I'd ever heard him play, because there was nothing that was, um, I don't know, reinforcing kind of the glamorous note creation. Thing. Like there was, there's, there wasn't like the cherry on top. Yeah, the landing. It was actually it was very, seemed very like he was struggling physically, and yet the message was like, wow, I'm hearing this person's life experience. So, um, yeah. you know, I think about that experience a lot as far as practicing goes. I'm not that much of a, um, you know, I practice, but I, I'm not as uh, I would describe myself at this stage not as. Um, Hungry as maybe other people I know who are kind of rashing up and working on things, and yeah. I, I, I'm hungry to be a part of music making and, and and really making sure that there's there's a really kind of high octane experience as a guitar player where everything is kind of manifesting together. But in my experience, it's not. Um, I get bogged down if I focus on the, the, the incremental practicing thing. Yeah. And I end up being a practicer and less of a communicator. So uh, all of that put together kind of makes it so that I'm not so worried about losing it. I don't think it was mine to begin with. And I think it's all in the service of something that needs to be really clear. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, the flip side of the coin is in, in that Jim Hall story is the most inspiring part is that while he's playing – Maybe not the way he used to, and his body can't do it. But he's playing because he has to, because he yeah. loves it. Yeah. No, that is that is totally that's the punchline. It's yeah. the, he's. I mean, what, again, what more do you want than that? Yep. It's like, okay. yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Cool. All right. So number ten then is, what's your five year plan? Is it just keep on keeping on, and doing your thing, making music, or do you have like clear? Uh, goals or focuses that you want to check off the list kind of in the next five years? Well, I want to make a solo electric record. That's on in the next, however, you know, God willing, amount of time. That I have certain interests in that world that I feel like I, I, I want to make that record. I want, that's, I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, I have a trio currently that I love with Dave King and Jorge Roder. We, we, I've been recording, we just finished a record, but um, I do have this dream of having some expanded orchestral thing. I don't mean orchestra orchestra. I just mean like more than three people. I, I've kind of focused primarily on duos and trios for the last many years. Um, I want to know what that looks like. Um, uh, there are certain educational things I'm involved with, including this site we run called guitar.study, and part of that proceeds from everything we do there go to um, these social justice initiatives, You know, whether it be 
systemic racism, women's reproductive rights, global warming, anything like that. And I do think there's a bridge to be built very deliberately between the um, guitar education community and helping community in a, in a kind of a no-brainer way. Um, yeah. And beyond that, it, it's it's a great question. I, 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 it, the answer probably is going to be hard for me to put into words as far as what that looks like. But I, I do I see something, you know, whether it's a projection, yeah. I, I do see something that needs to that needs to happen. Yeah. Well, what does what does success really mean to you? Like, what's the level where it's just like, man. I, I just wanted to continue. I couldn't even, you know, like, what is what does that level look like? Well, man, such a great question. You know, it, you know, if if I reflect on it, I succeeded day one of playing guitar. I was doing something with my family, whom I love, and I was, you know, living uh, a creative life in a way, you know, the life of an artist, someone who... I never thought of myself as a, being an artist, you know, and I don't know how you feel about that. I always thought of myself as kind of, I'm like, a, I play a guitar and I happen to be part of music making, but um, my whole life has been incredible in that respect of I, the fact that I get to do it or even think about or even touch a guitar, look at a guitar is, I could die tomorrow, I'd be very happy, you know. Um, having said that, I, I also don't think it's taboo, taboo to think about being financially successful, I don't think that's bad at all. And I think there are generations, especially you know, historically, where artists have struggled and they haven't made money. They haven't been able to support, you know, a lot of things. So I, 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 I do think that it's, without going into specifics, I do think it's important to um, find the creative end of what it means to be a professional musician. You know, are you touring? Are you recording? Are you teaching? What is? Are you making money? Who works with you? Are they? help you make more money than if you didn't work with them uh is it you know so the, the kind of marriage of the creative side with the, literally like can you pay your bills take care of your family yeah those are, I think it's fabulous and i think to, the fact that it ever is thought of as um well that's not art man i think that's that's very i think, I think it's very hurtful to a lot of people and harmful and they they it, it can shut a person down so i to me a success is where you can kind of Think about both and, 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 and manifest both. Now, again, my mentor, somebody who says is Gary Burton. and Gary Burton is a great example of that. Running Berkeley College of Music, being very successful as a musician, recording artist, pioneer in the history. I, I, nothing I'm saying is novel. I'm literally just following, trying to move in a fashion that I've seen my heroes move. Yeah. And uh, that includes the whole you know, enchilada. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, same. It's like I just want to be doing what I'm doing, paying my bills enough that everybody around me is smiling, uh, yeah. hopefully paying my other musicians who play with me enough where they're smiling, my family's taken care of and feels, you know, secure. That's it. It's not It's not too much to ask. <laughs> That's amazing. Come on. It's amazing. Dude, well... Dude, thank you for doing this. We reached the end of the qu 10 questions. Um, there'll be links to everything, Julian Lodge, in the body of this video, um, including the guitar.study. So you should get over there and start learning some stuff. Pick up his records. Even buy his new calling signature guitar. You need that guitar. <laughs> you got to play it. You know, these pickups might not be that uh, unfamiliar to you because Ron Ellis made them. And yeah. you have one uh, Cornell Dupree guitar, right? Yeah, or I have a Ron Ellis D. Armin in the Cornell Dupree. Yeah, it's slamming. Yeah. 
I don't know if I played that one, but I played what was the one that was at Nam last year? Oh yeah, it was one of them. Uh, maybe it was this one. I've had there, we've had a couple that are prototypes. Three or so. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's really good. It's it's actually incredible. So I'm I'm excited for it to be in the world. Yeah, the so, Gretsch rabbit hole. I need to dive down that one coming up soon. I know it's it's one I haven't scratched that itch enough yet. I need to do it. Brother, you will, you will, and it's it's very akin to the Tele world. The Sonic profile of these instruments is operates similarly. Um, Tele's and great. Anyway, yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks for linking all that stuff, and and thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Josh. Dude, thank you for taking the time. And if you're not a member yet, please become a member or at least subscribe. And if you are a member, we'll be right back.